Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. On this 77th episode of All Things, I am so grateful to have with me Sherilyn Holloway. She is the founder of Pro Black Pro Life, which is an organization that seeks to inspire the Black community to be a voice and influence on whole life issues. Sherilyn, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I've been following you online for a while now, and I always benefit from what you have to say. So I'm really glad the All Things listeners get to hear from you as well. Well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. So I know you were just in D.C. for the 49th annual March for Life. How was that? Cold. It was very cold. It was cold. It's 18 degrees. Um, I'm from Ohio, so I'm used to the cold, but not like that kind of cold where I wanted to wear my mask the whole time just to keep my face warm. Um, yes. Like it was like I'm, I'm a, I believe in wearing masks. Like it doesn't bother me. I don't like being sick, and I actually my facial expressions usually say what I'm thinking, so it helps me like mask that. I can just look at somebody in the eye and they have no idea like that I'm like, <laughs> judging them. <laughs> <laughs> or what they're saying, like I'm confused or don't like what they're saying. Um, but it was, it was good. Um, it did not feel as um, crowded as it normally does. Mm-hmm. And I think that just has a lot to do with number one, it was 18 degrees. Number two, you know, right. we're still in a pandemic still a lot of people there. So I don't want to make it seem like there wasn't a lot of people. There's still a lot of people there. It just didn't have that same crowded sidewalk feel that it mm-hmm. has, or even just people walking, you know, to the March from various, you know, Metro stops or whatever. It just didn't feel necessarily the same. Um, but not in a bad way. So I say that, but like not in a bad way, it just, you, it was noticeable. Um, hmm. And everything was going well. We we did it. We do an alternate rally um, to the main rally. So we have like a little gathering. And I wanted to do kind of a meet and greet because it was my first time as the founder of Pro Black for Life being at the march. Usually I just go as a participant. Um, and because there was no expo this year, um, I just wanted an opportunity that people wanted to come say hi and meet me that they could do that. So we had that. That went really well. Until uh, what we fe- later found out was a neo-Nazi came and had some words with us. We had no, <laughs> we're so oblivious. This is such a shame that like, <laughs> you know, and I'm grateful that Sylvia, who was doing a spoken word, who is also a believer and myself were like in the forefront because, you know, our response was just kind of like, oh, God bless you. You're like, mm-hmm. thanks for stopping by, <laughs> um, right. you know, and it wasn't like till the next day we actually realized like who, who it was. Um, so we didn't really have time to get like angry or retaliate or anything like that. But we we started hearing the stories the next day of like the the this group like trying to integrate themselves into the march. Uh, wow. So like I said, luckily it didn't hinder. I don't feel like um, mm-hmm. us. I know as a group, and um, but some of our like sister groups that we do a lot of partnership with, they are like, really upset um, and did when they found out who they were during the March did have a couple words for them. So, yeah, yeah. I can imagine it can be a contentious setting, but grateful that you were there, that everybody was safe, that you had a chance to share your vision, share your voice and just partner with like-minded people and like-minded organizations. It's crazy that that's the 49th annual. It's hard to believe 
that Roe um, happened almost 50 years ago. And um, we can talk a little bit more about that later, but it's a big year coming up. So tell us how you, yeah, tell us about the name of your organization, pro-black, pro-life, and why those two terms together in one vision, one organization title. Yeah. So I grew up, I'm from Oberlin, Ohio, where Oberlin College is, and it's uh, a liberal college um, here in the United States. It's It's in Oberlin. Um, and so I grew up in kind of this, we always joke and say it's kind of a bubble, but in a good way, um, very diverse, small town that had a college attached to it so that we interacted a lot with the college students. Um, I feel like I was probably introduced into, um, at least, um, LG issues very early on because they, the colleges was very accepting very early on. And so my experience like leaving and not understanding why people didn't have like a heart for racial justice and why people use the word tolerate. <laughs> like these things were like, just when I went to college, I was like, I don't understand what you're, what you're saying. Um, <laughs> um, because of this little bubble I grew up in, you know, Oberlin is a wow. stop on the underground railroad. We're very proud of that. Very proud of, you know, the college's history of being the first, not only accepting women, but accepting African-Americans. Um, we just have a deep history and kind of breaking down the barriers. And Oberlin itself was um, founded by Christians. And so mm. just for them to have like kind of that foresight. Now, there it has its issues <laughs> in history, but to kind of just have that foresight um, of what it mm. meant to, to be a Christ follower and um, what God's justice looked like okay. at such an early age um, was just, in, it was just rooted in us and ingrained in us. And so having that, Um, I had my first abortion at 15 and I had no idea what abortion was when it was brought to my attention that that's what, you know, my, my father wanted me to do. I was like, what is that? And I would regular church grow up goer. Um, my mom was a believer. We went to church every Sunday, had never heard the term. Um, and so that was kind of my first encounter with like the life issue and we had a pregnancy center about 10 miles up the road, had no idea that's what they did. Um, and, you know, went through with that decision, later on made the decision again um, in my late 20s. At that point, knowing better because I was already a mother of two kids um, and just really felt distraught and disoriented by um, the abortion industry. Like, I just felt like, my reasonings for doing this just didn't make sense. Like there's got, there's got to be a better way. And then when I realized that they had lied to me and my second one, that they had lied to me. Um, so about something really simple, I took a, um, a pregnancy test. So I took a, uh, I think it's a qualitative pregnancy test, which is like the urine test. And they said, Oh, what well, came back negative? Well, that's impossible because I had just took the abortion pill three days ago. There's no way that test would have came back negative. Now, a qualitative test would have told you if my ACG levels were going down. And they could have said, yes, this pregnancy is ending from that. But from a um, that test, it, it's either you have the hormone or you don't. And I felt like that was such a stupid thing to lie about. Hmm. You know, like, <laughs> and then I'm thinking, like, well, what else are they lying about? you lie about something so dumb, what else are you lying about? And so that led me to start volunteering in a pregnancy center. 
Um, and you know, just, I just wanted women to know that they, that there are other options that they, you know, I did not have, I did not know Jen, that there was a pro-life or pro-choice movement. Hmm. So this is 2012. Wow. Had no idea. Again, just realized what abortion was at age 15. So that would have been 1995. Um, and had no, idea. living in DC, this is in the DC area, had no idea that there was like a pro-life, pro-choice thing. I just wanted people, women to, so I didn't have a conviction that like abortion was wrong. I just mm-hmm. felt like there's another way. Like I knew I didn't want mine. Like that wasn't my first choice. And it wasn't until after I had it that I realized that it didn't have to be my choice. Like I could have made a different choice both times. I wanted people to have that information. Um, I then went to go work in a pregnancy center as a development director. And that's kind of where I've learned a little bit more about this divide. It's also where I began to hear more scripture about what the Bible says about abortion, Hmm. Um, which then led to like some conviction. And thank goodness they had um, an abortion healing retreat with that pregnancy center. And even though I wasn't working directly with clients, they, you know, were like, if you work here and you've been, you've had a prior abortion, you have to go through this. And I was like, cool, like, let's do it. Um, and so I was really just grateful for that opportunity. You know, I felt mm-hmm. like God had forgiven me, but I realized I hadn't forgiven myself because I realized I had, I didn't have to make that choice. Right. So when you realize you don't have to make that choice and then you realize there's scripture that says that why you shouldn't do this, like you're really convicted and it's easy to condemn yourself and feel guilty about that. And I feel like that time came perfectly from before I got to that place, you know, where things like depression or anxiety or things like that could go ahead and set in. Um, Mm -hmm. it just, it came at a good time. So I went through that and that's kind of where my biblical conviction started. Again, I didn't know a whole lot. I just knew there's some, there's some, these couple Bible verses that I heard that really sound like God's heart is, this is not where God's heart is. Um, I then moved back to Ohio, um, in 2014, um, and started doing some work and, which led me to become the executive director of my local pregnancy center here. Um, and that is really when I got to like head first into the pro-life movement. Again, I was already carrying like the racial justice piece with me that was always in my heart. Um, but I didn't know there was a connection to that mm-hmm. until 2018. And when I realized there was a connection to it, I was baffled. Like I've learned, you know, been taught tons of stuff about racial justice, tons of things about how we can combat this. Why has this topic ever come up? Um, so I began to ask and I started with the pro-life movement, you know, because I would show up to invention as like one of five black people at right. these events. And everyone, as soon as like I'd walk by, people would gra- literally grab me and be like, we're so happy you're here. How do you, how do we reach the black community? Um, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Like I did, you know what I mean? Like my thoughts were like, how do we reach the black? Like, what have we been doing? Mm -hmm. And that's the question I throw back. Like, well, what have you been doing? And so they tell me things like, oh, we do fertility awareness. Like sometimes it was just like so random, Jen, where I was like, well, they, she doesn't have a fertility issue. Like clearly that's not, you know, in her mind, this is not the problem. Mm -hmm. Like the problem is I'm going to pay my rent. Um, and I don't know how I'm gonna take care of these rest of these babies in a new one. Like, it just seemed like the messaging was off a little bit. 
but I did, I couldn't figure out why, like what was, cause I'm not the type of person, you know, to <sighs> silo things. Right. Um, I believe if God has called you, he will equip you and you should do what you're called to do. But there was something that was off to me. It, me looking at around a room at a pro-life event um, where I know the statistics in the black community and me being one of five people, I know something's off. And mm-hmm. so um, I started thinking about the issue and they're like, you know, people would say like, I don't understand why the black community is not enraged about this. And that honestly would put me off because I'm like, well, they're like, well, they're enraged about, you know, police brutality and that's not really an issue. And I'm listening to them and I'm like, ah, I see the problem here. Um, the problem is, is that you only want to listen. You only want them to respond to abortion as it, in terms of racism in that way. But you are not willing to listen to their heart on any other issues that are that they're dealing with when it comes to racism. Like it just became blatantly clear to me. And it was like this little fire that just started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so much so I would go into my community, like go to the store. I go to a barber. I don't go to a beauty salon. (laughs) And I would go in and I'd sit down and I'd say, like, talk to, we talk about all types of, in the black barbershop, you talk about all types of stuff. And you're typically, (laughs) so I've heard. (laughs) And you're typically, like as a black woman, I'm usually one of like eight black people in there, but I'm usually the only woman. And so, yeah, we would talk about racial justice issues. We, you know, we would talk about, you know, shootings and other things like, oh, have you heard about this? And, and even things that, that were happening in our community with like police harassment and things like that and housing issues. Um, and I would say, because nobody knew what I did for a living. Nobody knew I was a pregnancy center director. Like, <laughs> so I would say, you know, where do you think the most like vulnerable place would be to end a you know, a black person's life. And they would say, Oh, in prison, you know, when they're locked up or, you know, they, they end it through education, you know, they don't pour enough money into our education. All these things are very true, but have you considered, you know, abortion? And they'd be like, what do you mean? And I was, you know, to start telling them, here are the numbers because numbers don't lie, right? Like I can make mm-hmm. a blanket statement, but numbers don't lie. And most of them would be like, yeah, like I would never like encourage my girlfriend to do that. Like most of them inherently believe that people that I talk to, like this is what they're saying is that they, they always consider that to be a life. Um, but they never thought that considered where abortion clinics were placed. Why? I mean, it's, it was, would it be like a light bulb? Like, well, this is where, why they're placed here. And they're like, Oh, yeah. So tell maybe make that connection, because I imagine a lot of listeners don't know exactly what you're talking about. Where are abortion clinics placed? So abortion clinics, particularly Planned Parenthood, um, typically position their abortion clinics in places that are 60 to 70 percent minority. That's black and brown people. Um, And they do it under the guise of access. So what they're saying is. Well, yeah, there are doctors that perform abortions like in the suburbs or in further out areas. But because the black community can't, you know, may not have transportation, we need to put these closer to them so that they have access to them. Um, And that's how they've sold it and continuously sold it. Now, in the um, 1950s, 
when um, they were trying to put the birth control clinics in black neighborhoods, the black community pushed back because they were like, why? Are you? Because they're, first of all, they're, it was a very skeptical time, right? Is beginning of the civil rights movement, very skeptical at the time of any white person coming into their neighborhood doing anything, <laughs> um, you know, and they questioned everything. Um, even leaders as early as Jesse Jackson, the Urban League, things like that really spoke out against abortion and birth control flooding the black community. Um, we then see a kind of a shift when we start talking about dollars and people start running for office and things like that. Um, but that is the goal. Just like any other business, Planned Parenthood has sales goals and quotas and things like that. And they may, all their, these other services may be free, but abortions are not. Um, mm-hmm. And so when you think about it in those terms that this is their moneymaker, you know, we're talking about anywhere between depending on what state you're in and um, how far along a woman can be before she gets an abortion, you're talking about anywhere between $400 to $1,200. Um, and so when you walk into these clinics, there's like a dollar sign over your head, um, which is why they're, they have no interest or investment in educating you on other options. You know, if I walk into a bank and I say, I want to take out a loan, um, they're not going to sit there and talk to me about other options outside of taking out a loan. Like they want my money. That's how they make their money. They don't make money off me just putting money in my checking account. They make money off of the loans. And so they're not going to sit down with me and try to figure out what other options there are for me aside from taking off this loan. Like, well, maybe you could just put the money in your savings account. They're not going to do that. They're going to work tirelessly to figure out how they can get me this loan. It's the same thing. Um, And so when we think about that, you know, the 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 conflict in the black community is that you know, on one hand, we have this uh, stereotype that we're promiscuous, like black women are promiscuous and they're these unmarried mothers and they need, you know, either Jesus or birth control. Right. Like so these women are going, you know, to get birth control, but they're being condemned about that. Right. And then they end up as single moms and they're being condemned about that. So it's almost like they can't win. So how do they win? They're like, well, I'll just get an abortion. That's how I win. That's how I can move forward because our our society has not put in constructs that help these women uh, raise families. You know, there are the support systems that they need. And I'm not just talking about food and diapers, you know, and gas cards. I'm talking about child care and jobs with child care and educational programs and things like that, that actually really would help them build, um, you know, a, a strong family and choose, make a choice that they actually want to make. Yeah. I've heard you refer to abortion as a band-aid. sounds like that's what you're talking about a little bit here yes. to unpack that more for us. Yeah. So abortion is, um, a solution to a problem when it gets to a point where you can now it's too late. Right. And so that's what band-aids are. You know, if I walk down the stairs and I get a splinter, if I would have had socks on or shoes on, that wouldn't happen. Um, but if I make the choice not to, then I now have a splinter and now I need a Band-Aid. And so the woman had, there's a, a, a situation that she's in before she gets to that place um, where she finds herself pregnant. There's Now she has a, a burden or a barrier to carrying that child. The solution would be to break down those barriers um, to provide solutions then. But if there's nothing for her, there's nothing for her to lean on or for support, then she's going to go and choose this band-aid because it's a temporary fix, right? Um, 
if we're talking about a young a young woman who finds herself pregnant, let's say at 19, and she wants to go to college, you know, she wants to do all these things, um, she may think, well, I can't do this, right? I can't be a mom. I can't reach my goals by the time I'm like 22 with a child. So I'm going to have an abortion. And I always go back and say, the, that abortion is not going to stop her from having unprotected sex, right? Like, here's what part of the problem is that you're having unprotected sex. That's part of the problem. Secondly, like, what could have, what could we have done to help you make a different choice? Um, does, does your college that you're going to, does it offer childcare? Is it discounted for students? Like, there's so many things. And these things are out there. Like, I don't want to say that none of these, some of these things are out there, but they're not promoted. You know, mm-hmm. And they're not the norm. And, and they're, it's not the norm. It's absolutely not the norm. And so this abortion becomes a Band-Aid and it becomes a future solution, right? So if I find myself in this situation again, I could just go do that again. Mm-hmm. And it already. And so oftentimes, Jen, when I'm at the, you know, I'm at a um, the march or somewhere else where I see counter protesters, you know, fiercely defending abortion, I think to myself, like, are they, they are they defending abortion as a right? Or are they defending the choice that they had to make? Um, yeah. And being someone who made that choice, who then realized, like, that wasn't choice. Like, I did that because I didn't have a choice. I felt like I didn't have a choice. We need to back that all the way up. We need to mm-hmm. back it up to a place where these women actually have a choice, like a real choice. Um, and... That's not necessarily a popular opinion. Like for me, making an abortion unnecessary isn't necessarily a popular opinion because a lot of people say it's never necessary. Well, if you've ever, you know, been pregnant in a at your aunt's house and she's going to put you out because she's now finding out you're having a kid and you have nowhere to go, you, you know, work at McDonald's, like someone told you, like, just get a job and go to work and you're working and you don't know how long you're going to be able to work, you don't know where you're going to live, it becomes very necessary for your own personal survival. And those are the things that we have to fix. We have to make it unnecessary. We have to become a culture that supports and values motherhood. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I really appreciate your perspective on this. I think, um, as you said earlier, our views here are so siloed. We have so many different views that are in their own silo and we we struggle to integrate them. So we struggle to see, I think often in the pro-life community, um, how to, how to make abortion, as you say, unnecessary, how to sort of go get way behind the causes. What's what made that woman feel like this was her only option and to, um, to get, to scoot it way back and to, um, seek out solutions in that, um, that are going to be preventative. I'm, I always marvel even, you know, on the progressive side that, it's said that abortion is access for women in poverty, that this is the solution to poverty. And that just blows my mind that abortion would be the solution to poverty. When, as you say, actually maybe job development programs, mm-hmm. childcare programs, you know, building up structures in, in a community that are going to alleviate poverty. Yes. Abortion is really a, a harsh and violent and tragic, you know, quote solution. It's a bandaid, yes. as you say. And there's actually studies about this. There are studies after studies on how to alleviate poverty that say programs, um, programs for the community, whether they're government funded or church funded, like that is the difference that we don't, we don't see as much now during the great depression. Um, the, the weight 
of the impoverished became so heavy on the church that they were like, we need the government to step in. Like we can, we can no longer support this. And so it almost took it off the church's plate. Um, and I believe that it's our duty to take it back, um, yeah. you know, to take it back. Abortion's yeah. not a political issue. Abortion is not a government issue. Abortion is a community issue. It is a cultural issue. We have to take that back. And again, we know, you know, the church is the Lord's bride, right? We know it. it he, the church is a joy that is set before the Lord. We know all of this. Um, and so this is not me bashing the church at all. Um, but I do think like anything else, we have work, we still have work to do, right? Like anything else. Um, and so, you know, one of the goals of pro-black pro-life is to, to, um, communicate to churches in the black community and figure out what is everybody doing and what gaps are there, um, mm. that we can, we can see, uh, who has capacity to fill those gaps, um, in order to support the black community directly, um, and so we have a tons of data and we have, we work with a lot of different groups to, to get that information and to be able to uh, effectively figure out, you know, who to contact when, so that when a woman calls that um, we have some place to send her, depending on what the need is. So I want to talk about a couple other issues related to just black motherhood and maternal health. But before we do that, I'm thinking of the listener who has never considered the connections here. And I know this is maybe a hard question because we could talk about it for hours, but if you're educating somebody on the street and you only have a minute or two to talk about how um, abortion impacts the black community in a different way, and why that is, you know, what's your sort of elevator speech for, um, you know, cause I'm just thinking of the pro-life circles that I'm in and I know there's so much misunderstanding and there's, you know, you've sort of alluded to it earlier that there's this, I think this stereotype and this misunderstanding, like, Oh, the black community's promiscuous or irresponsible or, you know, deadbeat dads. And there's all of these negative, um, you know, stereotypes that I think float around, whether they're said or unsaid. So for the listener who has never pondered these connections before, what's your elevator speech for how abortion impacts the black community in a different and in an unjust way, pull back that veil for us and make the connections really succinct and obvious to us. So coming from a pro-life community's perspective, I think that would help. That's probably the majority of the listeners. Um, so one of the, so I had, this is, I had a conversation at the Rose dinner and a question was posed to me that they essentially did not understand why with the, with the data being the way it is with everything being, you know, evident why there's still not this massive action. Right. And so this was my 32nd spiel is that, you know, this information because somebody told you and the person that told you, you trusted and so part of the problem is not just the message getting to the black community, but it's the messenger. And so if I'm sitting here telling you that there is an issue with abortion in the black community, but I'm also sitting here voting for there not to be Medicaid expansion for women uh, who are single moms who are pregnant, then I'm sending a mixed message. And what it's telling me is that you actually don't care about me and I can't trust you or anything that you say. So maybe you are spouting off these statistics. I'm never going to go back and check because I already don't trust you. 
And your point of coming to tell me this was only to come and tell me this. It was not to provide any other solution to my community. It was not to listen to me and what I have to say about other issues, because unless you're pregnant, (laughs) this issue does not affect you on a daily basis. Nobody thinks about abortion as much as we do. And so unless you're pregnant or you know someone who's pregnant, this issue is not going to affect you. You have to have a messenger that actually understands, hears, and feels and cares about what the black community is going through as a whole. You can't on one hand talk about how terrible Black Lives Matter is and how black people are burning down their own cities, but then turn around and say, hey, have you heard about the abortion rates in your community? Like, hmm. I'm not I'm not listening to you. Like you're you're being number one, you're being um oh what I'm looking for. Patronizing <laughs> to me and my what I care about and my values. Um and I don't trust you. And so for me, it was extremely important that when I speak to my community, that they understand the pro-Black side of it. That I am here for your advancement in every area. I will support advancement in every single area of your life. And that is why I'm pro-life. Because I care about you from the womb to the tomb. Kids. Mm. I care about their education. I care about your health care. I care about you being a pregnant black mom and making it out alive of your delivery. I care about your child making it to age one. Like I care about all these things. I care about, you know, your baby's father that was picked up for, you know, um, less than an ounce of marijuana on the street. And now he's serving a year in prison when the white gentleman around the corner in the suburbs got stopped for the same thing. It was let go. Like, I care about all of those things. And so that is why there's a there's a disconnect, is that the pro-life community as a whole believes that the, the issue of the unborn is the um, human rights issue of, of our time. The human rights issue of our time is as a whole, we don't value all life. Mm want to put stipulations on what lives have value. That's the issue. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head there. We want to qualify which lives matter. We want to qualify which lives we're willing to protect. Yeah. So just to sort of take away a big idea from what you've just said is, is that proximity really matters. The pro-life Um, movement needs to be integrated into the communities that are vulnerable, where women have a sense that abortion is their only option, where that, that feels really true because, um, her housing is at stake. Her food security is at stake. Her future is at stake. Even maybe her own safety is at stake. And so she feels like abortion is my only option. So if the pro-life community were to be more integrated into the context and the communities where that's the reality then maybe we could move forward without abortion being the band-aid, but getting, as you say, you know, zooming way back and making abortion unthinkable, unnecessary, take it off of the buffet of options um, because it's no longer needed because this woman is now so supported yeah. with education, with healthcare, with housing, with the security and the stability that any mother would want who's preparing to bring a baby into the world. Yes. And there are pregnancy centers. Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. There are pregnancy centers that are actually doing this very well. Um, yeah. It's they're not the norm. <laughs> um, 
Um, but there are a handful of pregnancy centers that offer full-on case management services that yeah. have connections in their community that they can make phone calls and get housing for you know a client, get get them an OBGYN on the spot and an appointment on the spot for their clients, um, get them whatever. There there are pregnancy centers that are doing this and doing this well, and so I just want to make sure I say that so it doesn't sound like I know these I know these women. I've spoken to them. Yeah. I've trained some of them, um, and so. Um, that is like kind of like an aspect. I used to work for a marketing company um, that served the pro-life movement and, and getting uh, the, these executive directors to communicate to their boards why they need to spend $20,000 a year on marketing was like, I, I felt for them because I'm like, they don't get it. Like, and so again, here's another issue where you have a, an opportunity but you've got a, you've got constituents, you've got donors, you've got pe- all these people that whose personalities you have to appease that see the life issue very different. Um, and so I just want to make that note that there are some pregnancy centers in some of our major cities that are doing this very well. Yeah, absolutely. And there are some here in the Denver metro area um, where I know the people personally and have served as well. And I'm so grateful for that holistic perspective that they bring to the table. Um, not just a pregnancy test or an ultrasound, though those are helpful and valuable, but this, the wraparound yeah. services that are going to provide stability to a mom as she um, carries her baby to term and then tries to raise her baby. Yeah. Um, Sherilyn, you alluded a little bit to something that I'm not sure everybody would pick up on. So I'd love to hear you unpack it a little bit more, but can you talk about black maternal health, black motherhood? I know I'm opening up a whole can, (laughs) um, but what's the deal with black maternal health? So, um, black women are three to four times more likely to die during childbirth than a white woman. Um, and when we think about this, we, again, we want to point fingers, right? Like, oh, she's probably in poverty or, oh, she probably didn't, you know, have regular, um, OBGY, OBG care when she was pregnant, or, you know, maybe she lived in a bed, maybe she's a smoker. There are no, not one single correlating, um, outside influence other than they're black. That's it. I mean, we've heard the story about, uh, Serena Williams, um, you know, if Serena Williams, you know, and Beyonce can't get quality health care when they're giving childbirth and almost die. Like the rest of us are screwed. Right. So um, and what we truly believe um, is the root of this problem is just this systemic idea that some way, somehow has been just passed on for generations that black women are stronger than white women. Our skin is tougher, like we don't experience pain, like our pain tolerance level is way higher. It baffles me. We, there was a study in 2016 uh, that a um, PhD student did, and she just did a survey. It was, I think it was 300 med students, current med students, all white, and asked, gave five myths uh, against black, for black people needing health care. All of them were myths. None of them were true. And ask which one of these are true. Like, pick as many as you want, which one is true. Out of 300 people, every single one of them picked at least one of them. Wow. Um, And so that tells us, right, like somewhere this was created, this narrative of, you know, Black women being so much stronger. And, you know, we have had to carry a lot. You know, we've had had to do it, but it doesn't have to be that way. (laughs) 
You know, it doesn't have to be that way. I actually did a training for a group in Texas and the the whole, it was all African-American board, I think for, except for one gentleman and the, um, um, executive director of the organization, a black woman who is, or was a retired nurse said that she went to nursing school in the fifties. They were doing a scholarship program for black women to be able to get nursing degrees. And she was accepted and she went into school. She said she had one professor that no matter how hard she worked would not pass her. And she would say, you don't belong here. You don't belong here. And she said to the point where she and another, she wrote a paper, another student in the class wrote a paper and this student agreed to switch papers with her to see if she was really like, this was really a race issue. They switched papers. The other woman got an A, she got an F. Oh, wow. And so, I you know, so here we are. This woman is training nurses. How many generations of nurses has she trained to have this mentality that black women don't have worth? Yeah, I think, I mean, the statistics are telling that if a, a black woman giving birth is three to four times more likely to die in childbirth than a white woman, that really is staggering. And I think that has got to give us pause. We've got to stop as a people and say, why is that? And maybe it's true that there are some beliefs and some systemic injustices that have been passed down through the ages that we just have not reckoned with yet. Yes. Absolutely. Um, I just say that's a pro-life issue right there. Why are black women dying when they give birth? This is a pro-life issue. And it's, I, I didn't know any of this until I be, began. The, I joined a um, community health initiative group here in Lorain County that focused first on infant mortality in the black community. And then for the last few years have been focusing on the maternal death rate in the black community. And so these statistics were brought to me. I had no idea. I was like, I'd have been mortified with all my kids mm-hmm. had I known this before. And it made oh, me wow, think back yeah. to my own experience, Ruby, who's six. Um, we were in, I have a picture of me in labor and delivery. My mother, Ruby was born in October. October in Ohio is not freezing, right? We're probably thinking of like 50s, 60s at the lowest. Um, my mother is in her winter coat. She's got her hat on and her scarf on. My husband is covered in blankets laying on the bed because it was so cold in our room. And I kept asking the nurse, like, is there, is it cold because we're trying to kill bacteria? Like, why can, why is it so cold in here? Like, can we, and she kept literally ignoring me and she was off. I will never forget that. She got off at seven and I got a new nurse and she, this was a black nurse. She came in and I said, I've been asking the other nurse, why is it so cold in here? <laughs> is it like, is this a health issue for me and the baby? She goes, no, you're cold. And I go, yeah, she was turned up the heat. Wow. And I was like, That's why so wouldn't she do this? And she goes, I don't know. Hmm. She goes, I don't know. I was like, I asked her like three times. Like, that's how cold it was. My mother was literally in her winter coat, gloves, hat, sitting next to me. And I didn't think about it at the time that this was like, oh, could have possibly, even possibly been a racist. I'm not going to say it is. Maybe she was hot. Maybe she was menopausal. I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm not going to say that. But it makes me think of like, you're, she blatantly just ignored me. So tell us, Sherilyn, what can somebody who's listening what can they do? So say, say there's a listener who I would imagine it's probably a lot of people who are listening right now, maybe have never considered these realities before. So their jaws are probably wide open. 
their eyes are wide open and they're going, wow, I, I did not realize this disparity existed. What can she or he do going from here? This, this episode ends. What's a tangible step that somebody who's learning about this for the first time can take? And maybe a few steps down the road. What are, what are some things that you feel like are not a bandaid? a way that we can really approach this issue. Well, I'm going to give two kind of different perspectives on this. The first perspective I feel like is everyone needs a heart check. Everyone needs to do a heart check. I need to do a heart check every once in a while. Everyone needs to do a heart check. Are the things that I believe um, godly? The things that I'm willing to fight for. So yes, the life issue is a God issue, but are the other things that I'm willing to fight for do they, what, where do they line up in my life? Do they keep me comfortable? Because if anything I'm saying right now makes you feel uncomfortable because I'm going against what you've always believed or believed to be true, or the people around you have told you, and this is something you can sit around and agree on, and it makes you feel better, then you really need to step back and look at that. Because we were not called to live in comfort. We were called to carry burdens. Um, and so that's the first thing. The second thing that I would suggest, again, if you want to learn more um, about kind of these issues that I talk about, I have a YouTube channel um, that you can go and visit and watch the videos. And I talk about some of those ask questions. People ask me questions on there all the time. I always respond. Sometimes people send me longer questions in email. I always respond. Um, tangibly, there are um, centers that are doing this. Find out if you're local, what your local pregnancy center is doing. Find out what they're doing. And if they are offering these services, support them. Um, there is a um, health center in South Dallas that serves brown and black women with uh, doulas and um, midwives. It is known, statistically known, that women who have a doula or a midwife, black women when given birth, are 80% more likely to have a successful um, birth experience. 80? Oh, wow. Because now you have an advocate. Yeah. Um, and so they offer that those services for free, and it's Abide Women's. Uh, I don't want to mess this. It's Abide. I think it's Women's Center, um, mm-hmm. and they're in South Dallas, um, and they're doing amazing work. So they do all the, uh, material support, um, client care, all these things, um, and so support them. Um, other things you can do is find out where your legislator stands on things like I just said, like Medicaid expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, find out, you know, what the statistics are in your area about infant and um, maternal mortality in the black community. Find out if there's like a committee that's doing like, like I said, we have a committee. It's open to the public. We have a committee uh, that talks about these issues. Um, we have found that the reason why Lorraine County has, is doing so well in this is because they actually find ways to partner with our pregnancy center because the pregnancy center is going to see them at two and three weeks before the WIC office sees them, right? Um, and so they can make sure that they have proper bedding. They can make sure they have everything that they need um, in the case that they don't have these things. They can make sure they have an OBGYN. They can make sure they have all those things. And um, actually, our local pregnancy center also partners with a doula. Um, and so find out what's going on. Don't just sit around and assume. Um, figure out where, what is your gifting? You know, if you're, if you have a tangible gift, how can you use it and educate yourself? You know, 
do, I go into every single situation, no matter how versed I feel like I am on things, I go in every single situation with my ears open and my mouth closed. Because I always learn something, something I didn't know. Something that maybe I've been talking about, you know, this thing forever and um, come to find out like, oh, wait, that's not always the case. Hmm. Like go in with a humble spirit, ready to learn. Um, mm-hmm. And you can always support us at ProBlackProLife.com uh, slash give. Um, we are trying to be everywhere. <laughs> oh, that's the reality. We are really trying to be everywhere that we can possibly be. This is what I do full time. Um, we have a extremely dedicated board um, of some pretty unbelievable people. I won't I won't call them out. Um, that really believe in this issue. And so those are some real tangible things. The organizations like mine um, that are serving the black community directly do not receive the dollars that other organizations see. And I'm just going to, that's just the Mm -hmm. honest truth. You can look that up. You don't see the dollars that other organizations see. Um, So if you truly believe that abortion in the black community is an issue, you need, you have to put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, let me leave you with one last question, sort of two part question. Do you think Roe is going to be overturned this year? Just your prediction. And if it is, it, and if it's not, I mean, maybe more if it is like what I've heard in the pro-life community is if it's overturned, our work is really just getting started. We're going to have to get really creative. Uh, we're going to have to ramp things up. If it's overturned, how do you think that's going to affect the nation and what should pro-lifers do as a result? Um, do I, so I'm terrible at how many jelly beans are in the jar game. <laughs> like, I'm terrible at okay. <laughs> um, Do I think? Yes, I do. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I think, I feel like I think that way because I see our opposition planning for it. And I feel like that is, uh, a very sensitive space for me because I, I feel like the pro-life community tends to be very reactive and not very proactive. And so here we are in January, we're all like praying and on our knees, but what are we practically doing to, because they're ready. We're seeing it in ads. We're seeing ad prices for Google ads. I'm talking about Google ads. You could, you could be in Podunk, Kentucky, a pregnancy center and run an ad and have a $300 ad budget, $500 ad budget. Those ad budgets are now $3,000 and Planned Parenthood is driving up the market to get people to go to their, these mega centers they're building in states that um, they're sure that if Roe is overturned, we'll still have abortion. They're, they're collecting money to be able to um, transport people who can't afford to be transported. You know, and I literally feel like we're just sitting on our hands waiting to see what happens. Um, and this is where we make our mistake is that we are consistently being reactive. Um, so the pro-life community can ramp up its actions that we all know. We've all said it like this is where it begins because there are going to be these states and these are the states that are doing late term abortions. These are the states that are the legislators passing that if these babies are born alive, that they don't get care. Like these are these states. So figure out what state is closest to yours, call their, that pregnancy center and find out like, okay, I am supporting my local pregnancy center, but how can I support you? What are you guys doing? And how can I support you? Um, yeah. What can yeah. I do? What can I do? Because that's really what it's going to be. Illinois, 
um, New Mexico, Colorado, um, these states, <laughs> Maryland, New York, are going to be California. California's got a whole plan in place of what they're doing. Like this should like be activating us. You, I, you see how like excited, like how passionate I get about it <laughs> because this should be activating us. When we see this, it shouldn't just be a sharing it on Facebook. Like I can't believe what governor Newman is doing. Do something, <laughs> do something, yeah. find somebody who's doing something and support their work. If you cannot do it, have a meeting with them, give them your ideas. Like, again, even if you feel like God has given you a vision, but has not given you the marching orders, share that vision with someone and say, who can I get this vision to? You know, that I think that this would be something that we could do. There are so many different types of pro-life agencies out there from that run the gamut, secular pro-life, um, new wave feminists where uh, destiny is agnostic, uh, atheists for life. There are so many, you know, we're not, you know, all Christian. We're not all, uh, we don't check all the boxes, find out, but they're all doing things. Find out where, you know, you can put your gifts, talents, whatever, to help when this happens, that there are, there are things in place, there are structures in place. Yeah. You know, we call it the abortion industry because it really is an industry. There's a very corporate model. As you said earlier, it's capitalistic. There's the pursuit of cash. Um, it's a whole industry. What if we had a pro-life industry? What if we were looking at it that way? Like, how can there be a whole industry with multiple layers throughout the community, saturating our community to be a, a whole life movement we, so that women felt Absolutely. We, I just talked to someone, again, having worked in the marketing industry, who's still in there. And we've got to stop being so individualistic in this. We've got to start thinking community. You don't have to change your name. You know, money is green. Like if we can get, you know, the pregnancy centers, you know, in this corner of Kentucky to pull their resources together and have one number that someone can call and you just funnel them out to, you know, you your dollars are going to go so much further than then being like, oh, I just want to help pregnant women in my community. Like our vision has to be community based, not individualistic based. Um, and, and there have been, you know, people that have tried to kind of bring together you know, under like one umbrella, it's not going to work because there's unity does not have to equal uniformity, right? Everyone's like, it was Planned Parenthood's branding that no, it's Planned Parenthood's dollars that is allowing the, each Planned Parenthood to have a different color and different <laughs> brand. It's their dollars and it's their messaging. That's what keeps them going. And our messaging has to be aligned. Our messaging has to be, we are a culture that values life, period. We are yeah. here to help you. Let's pull our money together and fill, figure out how, at least in that realm, I forget how much money goes into the pro-life movement. It was some crazy amount that goes into the pro-life movement every year. Some crazy amount. Um, but we're talking about segmented, right? We're talking about segmented issues. Um, I know a couple of donors and uh, found people who run foundations that that spread it out. They're like, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> that sounds good. They understand. You know what I mean? Like, we need to spread these dollars out and we need to figure out how we can make the biggest impact. And our, we need to do that. We need to be community focused and not individual focused. Um, and that's what I think is going to make the difference. And we've got about five months. Yeah. 
Yes. All right. Well, um, I'm going to leave a number of links in the show notes so that our listeners can find you and they can find pro black pro life. Um, of course I'll link other news stories and organizations that I'm aware of that are doing this kind of work so that the listener can take action right away. But Sherilyn, thank you for sharing with us your expertise and your experience and your perspective. I'm really grateful for your whole life passion. Thanks Jen. Thanks for having me. Bye everybody. Thanks for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now.